Welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's good to be with you again this week. Welcome to episode 249. Listeners, we're almost to 250. Um, we'll have more about that at the end of the episode. Um, but I'm excited to be with you again today. And I, I want to start by uh, giving a, a little bit of an announcement. In case you haven't already seen, there is a new media outlet that is launching next week. It launches on August 29th, and it's called Oklahoma Voice. Uh, It's an independent, nonpartisan news organization um, based here in Oklahoma that uh, they say that they elevate the voices and the stories of Oklahomans impacted by decisions in Oklahoma City at the state capitol and beyond. Um, They do daily news stories, briefs commentary, some investigations. Um, They're focus is on uh, essentially on the state capital, government, politics in Oklahoma, and how it is impacting our daily lives. Um, there will be some familiar names attached to it. If you haven't already um, seen this, uh, Janelle Strickland, who formerly worked for uh, CHNI, you've probably seen her byline in a lot of newspapers around the state. She is the editor, Carmen Foreman, from the Oklahoman and the Tulsa World is now with Oklahoma Voice. Uh, Nuria martinez Keel is there. Um, and uh, and then Mindy Reagan Wood is also there. So it's four women, which I think is kind of cool. Mindy's beat is going to be infrastructure and programs that serve disabled Oklahomans. Uh, Nuria is covering the legislature and public schools. Carmen is covering the legislature, as she has been for the last several years. Uh, and also healthcare, federal government, and higher ed. Uh, and then, as I said, Jeanette will be the, or Janelle will be the editor and cover. And you know, she's got I think like almost a decade of experience covering the legislature. Super exciting! Um, you can go to OklahomaVoice.com and sign up for their their first email newsletter. As I said, it'll go out uh, in just a few days on the 29th. Uh, I'm really excited to see how this plays out. Uh, my understanding is that they are. Um, somewhat connected to uh, a national group called the State's Newsroom. When this is the 35th or 36th state-based newsroom that they've launched. It's all kind of nonpartisan, nonprofit with a focus on accountability, on kind of watchdog news. Uh, and, and for my money, you can never have too much of that. Speaking of money, it's free. No paywall, right? This is a nonprofit. If you read Oklahoma Watch, I would imagine it's somewhat similar to that. Um, and uh, so this is a great addition, I think, to the Oklahoma local media environment. You know, we've seen huge cuts over the last, you know, five, 10 years to media. We've lost a lot of great reporters. Um, this is, I think, really exciting. I think this is unconnected, but this happened the same week. There's a new sports outlet too, right? And it's called, um, uh, it's called not sold out, um, but something along those lines, um, sellout, sellout crowd. That's what it's called. And I think it was a brainchild of a couple of PR people here in town, but like Barry Trammell and some of those folks are over there. I'm, I'm, I've pulled back from sports reporting years ago. It's just not my jam. Um, but it's cool that there's like two new kind of semi-independent news outlets going out. One for political news, one for sports. Um, you know, there's obviously connections there or analogies at least, but knock yourself out. It should be a, a great environment for news in Oklahoma moving forward. Now, 
now that that announcement is out of the way, um, I do want to in- introduce our guest today. It's Dr. Emily Stacy from Rose State College. Dr. Stacy, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. May I call you Emily? Please, of course. Okay, great. I figured that was okay, but Absolutely. for the sake of the appearance of the podcast, yes. both our listeners will ask me about that. <laughs> um, well, Emily, thank you so much for being here. You are a um, professor of political science and a, a program director there at Rose State. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how long you've been there? What your journey has been like to this point? How did you get into political science, uh, especially the teaching of it? Sure. Teaching kind of just happened to me. I never thought that I would be in front of people public speaking all of the time. Um, I did it the first time as an adjunct uh, while I was a couple years into, about a year into my PhD dissertation writing. And what what was that on? Oh, my dissertation focuses on uh, pre and post information age social movements, revolutions, uh, the way that digital technologies are utilized by citizens around the world to create social and political change for themselves. So so like the Arab Spring? Exactly, my friend. Yeah, so that was one of my studies, the Arab Spring. Um, I did the uh, Umbrella Movement or Revolution in Hong Kong from 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then I dissected that uh, or juxtaposed it with an American movement, Black Lives Matter. So we did, yeah. a, obviously, comparative analysis. Um, so comparative theory is kind of my my jam. That's fascinating. Let's come back to that because sure, I want to talk about the Arab Spring. Yeah. Um, with you, but we'll come back Absolutely. to that. So, um, so you were doing your PhD, yes. studying this stuff. Just captive audience. So I <laughs> fell in love. I, I had a uh, just good luck in getting hired at Rose State uh, as an adjunct. And my first American federal government class, I just absolutely fell in love with being able to speak talk politics, to speak politics, uh, you know, to these students and really light a fire underneath them, right? Yeah. A lot of professors, unfortunately, and teachers, just generally speaking, are getting a bad rap for indoctrination and, um, uh, you know, being woke, et cetera, um, particularly if you're teaching social studies, government, history. Right. Um, it's, it's such an empowering subject though, or a field um, and to be in a classroom with folks that are of different ideology. Obviously, um, I teach in Midwest City, Oklahoma, so we're getting kids from Meeker, Spencer, all over yeah. um, you know, the state. All of all of the counties are covered at Rose State. Um, so to come into a classroom and to be met with uh, you know, new faces and kind of fresh meat is what I call them. Um, it's it's always fun because I'm not there to tell them how to vote. Um, I don't care how they vote. I don't care if they vote communist or Republican or, you know, Tea Party or, you know, super liberal. Um, I care that they vote. And so that is the message that I get out to them on the very first day. The democracy relies on you. It, it cannot survive without you participating without your voice. Um, and so that is, it's, uh, I, I get, I got goosebumps talking about it. <laughs> it makes me so happy. So uh, American well, government was certainly not my field. I'm not an Americanist, but I love to teach American federal government because I get to push these kids into understanding their role in their democracy and how they can best advocate for themselves, whatever that looks like. Right. I mean, I, I, um, I'm sure some of my friends that are more partisan get annoyed with this, but I, I have long said that my goal, right, is for 100% voter participation. I would love, yeah. uh, and this is probably the scientist in me, like I, I want every single eligible voter to vote for the simple reason that then we would know exactly what people say. We exactly. the, the term like this is what voters want gets tossed around a lot yes. and we don't really know. And it's a mandate whenever only – Oh, no, right. 40. 55% yeah, or something? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we have, uh, you know, you have uh, exactly right. You have turnout mm-hmm. that is 
often less than half Mm -hmm. of the registered voters to say nothing about those that are eligible and unregistered. Exactly. So you've got this fraction of a fraction that actually turn out and somehow that is the, the, the definition of a majority rule. And so whenever, you know, when folks throw around this like mob rule mentality, Mm -hmm. I was like, listen, that's not the case. Right. As I mean, a, a good example is well, every election, but a, a very specific <laughs> election is um, the election for mayor in any town. Mm-hmm. We'll say Oklahoma City, right? There are um, the population of Oklahoma City is like just shy of a million yeah, people, yeah. I think, right? Mm-hmm. There's roughly, I don't know, 700,000 people in Oklahoma County. Roughly half of those are eligible voters. Mm-hmm. There's kids and folks that aren't eligible, right? right? So let's say there's 400,000 voters yeah. in Oklahoma City. As I'm just kind of estimating. Right. Um, Mayor Holt in his last election, there was like 15,000 votes cast, like a tiny fraction. And maybe that's what he received. Maybe that was the total turnout. I forget. But essentially turnout in most mayoral races is like five to 10%. Yeah. And that's how we're making decisions. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of factors for this that I'm sure we'll talk about, right? Everything from, you know, gerrymandering to um, uh, uh, voter suppression tactics, mm-hmm. closed primaries, all these things. Oh, There's yeah. a lot that goes into it. But um, the fact is we don't use our voice at all. near as much as we no. could, right? Sometimes no. at all. And so people say, my vote doesn't matter. I was like, your vote matters way more than you think. Yeah. Like proportionally, mm-hmm. you have enormous influence. Exactly. If only 15,000 people are voting, that's like- Your a, vote matters. Right. The yeah. governor of Oklahoma, going back to 1970, mm-hmm. the average margin of victory, whether it was a Democrat or Republican, is about 142,000 votes, which is not that many. Out of you know no. 1.2 million that typically get cast, um, it's a pretty small number. And it interestingly swapped or like flipped, right? So Democrats were in charge for years, including the governorship, yep. and the Democratic governors won by usually about 140,000 votes. Mm-hmm. And then in a matter of a cycle or two, it just flipped. And now the Republican wins by about that much. And so anyone, you know, whichever side you might be on, you think this is, you know, we'll never win. This is not flippable. It is definitely flippable because there's literally a million people who don't vote. That's exactly it. And we only need like 10% of them to show up. If it wasn't flippable, why redistrict congressional districts three and five? I mean, if it, right. right? Yeah. Why draw the district the way they did? Yeah. So I think- Oh, I'm stealing your thunder. No, really, not at all. Not at all. This is exactly right. Like no. people need to know exactly. that your vote matters. So if you're feeling depressed or you're seeing all these candidate debates, candidate filings, yes. announcements, it's that time of year. It is. Things are gearing up. Right. <laughs> um, just remember that you can use your footprint. Yeah. To make a, a really big difference, it's such a big deal, and I'm I tend to speak from the uh, the generation that I teach to, and so um, you know Gen Z, and obviously I'm a millennial, uh, and so we become the the largest or have become the largest voting block, right, in in the electorate, um, but we're not turning out, especially the the younger folks, uh, and so that's really the demographic that I'm trying to get to, right? You matter. 18 to 25, uh, you guys need to start turning out. If you do not want to continue to see candidates that do not relate to your issues whatsoever, net neutrality, college tuition, you know, whether or not Social Security is going to be there when these 18-year-olds are are 60, 65, et cetera, you need to start using your voice. They're not going to, the parties are not going to listen to you until you start turning out in numbers and you make them listen to you. Yeah. 
I'm going to go back to Social sure, Security because uh, so I'm 42 and I've had a conversation in the last few weeks with several friends who are around my age. Yeah. You know, we were all hitting 40 and starting to think, oh, man, like I'm getting old. I can't work forever. Like I don't want to work forever. Right. I'd like to retire someday. What does that look like? And when I look at my little, you know, retirement account thing, Social Security is part of that mm-hmm. planning, right, for sure. after retirement. Um, so Social Security's um, – uh, fundedness, right? Like its mm-hmm. presence in our life is not just an issue for those that are 18 or 20. It's, it needs oh, to be no. an issue. It's existential for you and I. Yeah. I mean, if oh, we, yeah. like my dad, you know, gets social security, mm-hmm. he's retired. Yeah. Great. He's going to be like, he gets that that he's paid into. Yeah. But there's a chance, right? That it might not be there when we retire. I'm not going to, I'm not going to forecast, but I feel like there's probably more than a chance, probably a likelihood. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, one of the things that I think this generation, Gen Z, needs to start thinking about is, yeah, you're working and you're paying into a system and is it going to be there? Please don't uh, start a revolution today because of what I said. However, it is something it's something to consider. Yeah. No, I mean, we – and they've been talking about it for sure. decades, right? Like this yeah. isn't new news. No. But I think it hits different. It does. When you're like – Oh, no. um, when you're looking at the number you need, like mm-hmm. to have income to survive after you quit working, right? If you're counting on Social Security, you should definitely vote. Yes, and you're probably counting on Social Security for a lot Most of folks. folks are. That's all they have, yeah. right? Like, um, so whether that's you know twenty thousand a year or thirty thousand right. a year, or whatever it is, um, that's money that you need to pay rent, to pay your mortgage, buy your medication, go to pay your copays on stuff, like. Yeah. You got to have money. Absolutely. And you can't keep working until you're 90. Uh, and so it's those kinds of issues that are probably feel less relevant when you're 20. Sure. And just as a check-in Absolutely. for my fellow, you know, Gen X and elder millennials, right. like, hey, we're halfway there, right? We are. Between 20 and 60 or something like we're in the middle yeah. and this is a big issue. Mm-hmm. I recently joined uh, the AARP, Aww. which you can do at any Good age. It's really cheap. Yeah. It's like $17 a year if you do it like in a four-year thing. That's you get awesome. great discounts. Excellent. So if you rent cars, if you travel, anything, it's already paid right. for itself. Uh, and I did it because I they are obviously like one of the largest advocacy groups mm-hmm. in the country. Um, and it helps me as like I can't track everything sure. federally. I track a lot yeah. of stuff in state. But this is like a simple way for me to pay a little bit of money to get some great discounts on, you know, rental cars and hotels and whatever. I don't yet get free coffee at Denny's. That's, oh, you have to be older for that. But Work towards it. Right. But this is a way for me to stay in the loop yeah. about these issues that are starting to matter yeah, more and more. That's a great idea. Yeah. So I don't get a referral code or anything. This isn't, this isn't like one of those podcasts. But um, yeah, <laughs> use code FIXERS to sign up for exactly. AARP. Yes. Um, but I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. And you get a magazine every month. That's nice. I'd like Matt Damon's on the cover. That's a fun thing. Ooh. That seems weird to me that it, I was, he's on the... Okay. We well, need to check ages of people. I, yeah, okay. I think so. I, I read the other day that 10,000 baby boomers turn 65 every day. Wow. So it's... I mean, they're a quickly yeah. aging population. Um, and it's a huge voter block, as yeah. you said. But they are being replaced, right? Yes. Like, so a, a big chunk of them are turning 65. Mm-hmm. But... a a smaller number, but still a good number, are also passing off, right? Yeah. Like they're right. older yeah. and they're dying. And so like yeah. the the greatest generation, right? Like yes. the generation that was in World, World War II, II. Yeah. and maybe Korea, mm-hmm. a lot of them have already died. Right. And 
the next big wave as being baby boomers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's has huge kind of downwind effects Absolutely. for what happens in the electorate. We are facing a presidential election with two uh, elder front runners. Right. Um, and, and I think America is starting to like between that and like Diane Feinstein and uh, yeah. all of uh, Mitch McConnell, like we're starting to have to reckon with what do we do um, when yeah. our leaders are on average decades older than most of the population. Is this good? Is this bad? And how do we respond is, to is it? Is that representation? Yeah. Like, that's, yeah, the the part for me that I think I try to hammer home with my kids. Um, you know, politics is much less red versus blue these days than it is generational. Um, mm. Right. The issues that we care about um, tend to kind of uh, shift 50 and under. And of course, I'm not you know, trying to be ageist or anything, obviously. Um, but again, you, the representation in your Congress is sometimes three times older than the students mm-hmm. that I'm teaching. And that becomes problematic when you think about them being the ones that are voting. Yeah. Well, and I think for voters, it feels disempowering. Yes. It feels like, well, it's just a bunch of old people. Right. And what do they know? And and we're all narcissistic in our own way and concerned about our own life. Sure. Um, but when these things start happening, right? When right. when women lose the ability to make decisions about their own body. Right. When um, the safety nets disappear, right? When um, inflation goes up or stays mm-hmm. persistently high. And rich people get richer and the rest of us can't afford rent. Right. Um, what do we do? You know, like, I think these are things that we have to, we don't have to just think about. Like, we are dealing with, and one of the ways we can deal with this is at the ballot box. Absolutely, yeah. Um, of course, you know NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard. And so a lot of the things that you just kind of listed off are things that people don't necessarily think about in their daily lives until it's been taken until that liberty or that right has been taken away. Yeah. Um, and then you see the pitchforks come out and you see a lot of mobilization, right? You don't get votes, uh, you know, to enshrine constitutional rights to abortion in a place like Kansas without having conservative women who are of the millennial and younger age come mm-hmm. out and vote for things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so it's, it's incredibly important. And I think it will be uh, specifically the uh, Dobbs decision will be instrumental um, in the 2024 election um the just the conversation the brief conversation if you watched the uh, gop debate uh on wednesday night um of course the first question about abortion was directed or the only really uh abortion question was directed immediately to nikki haley um and it was she was the only woman on stage (laughs) right (laughs) right um and so it just became very Obvious um, that these Republicans are entrenched in their opinion, and it may be the one that really costs them in the end right. uh, because they're not paying attention to that younger demographic of, yeah. of women, college-educated women. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, Emily, I think I maybe a good use of our time today is to keep doing this, to talk sure. about um, – I am interested, and I think our listeners are inter- interested too, in what you as a political science academic – are watching, are paying attention to, maybe you're thinking about some of these things. And so sure. let's start with the debate, if that's okay. Sure. You watched it. You had a watch party, which you hosted, right? I did. I try to, uh, as, as my role as program coordinator of political science, I uh, am always hosting uh, new events in my dean and the, the college are very lovely uh, and letting me kind of do whatever I want. I love real estate. They're going to have to burn me out of my office now that I have tenure, <laughs> never leaving. Um, and so debate watch parties were something I just kind of dreamed up uh, in the middle of summer, not realizing that that uh, 
the debate hadn't uh, they hadn't set a time for it and didn't mm-hmm. start till eight p.m. So uh, we actually had a really good dialogue with our watch party beforehand. Uh, kind of took bets, placed bets about who was going to win, who was going to uh, you know invoke Trump's name first, etc. Right. It was good. It was a good time. Um, my takeaways are, uh, I think, number one, and this is probably generalized across the uh, viewing audience, uh, the person who wasn't in the room is obviously still the front runner. Um, I, I think the Fox tried really hard to not say his name until they specifically asked the question mm-hmm. in the second, I think right after the second break, um, they asked them about Trump and the indictments and things like that and if they would um, support him. Um, it- and. If you saw the footage, it was incredible to watch the wave of hands kind of go up. Nikki Haley shot up first. Vivek shot up right after that. And then it was just kind of this slow wave. And so I didn't watch the debate. I had something else going on. And um, and so I'm living vicariously Mm -hmm. through you and, you know, commentators. And in some ways, I'm glad, probably for my own mental health, but also. I've heard a lot of that this week. So what I heard is that, like. I mean, everyone, all eyes are on DeSantis for this question, right? Right. And that he kind of like looked around to make sure like, am I the only one Mm -hmm. doing this? Um, And it's wild to me that they would ask a question of like, hey, all of you who are running against Trump, if he's indicted, will you still support him? And- and I think Christy was the only one to say no, right? Well, I think we need to roll back the footage, my friend. Um, <laughs> I, that was a little sus. So he did a little – he says he was waving it off, but that hand looked pretty affirmative. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I, I don't know. We're going to have to roll the footage back on that one. Right. He walked it back, certainly, but I, I don't know. That's funny. I don't know. But, That's funny. Um, it is interesting. So the there are some polls out after the debate that don't include Trump. Uh, and right now you've got DeSantis, uh, who's leading it by 27%. But it's, I mean, it's so narrow between yeah. the others, uh, Tim Scott and um, Pence. Um, well, and I, I expect that on Sunday this week we'll have yeah. a bunch of polling oh, data that drops, assume. right? I, I would hope so. Um, Ron DeSantis. Man, I... he. My take is that he underperformed. Very much so. Um, it was hard to watch in some instances. It's obvious that he's gotten some PR notes uh, about being more affable, um, just kind of looking more human and friendly. Um, and so it kind of resulted in these very kind of weird grins and kind of smirks mm-hmm. um, that didn't quite read as, hey, I'm this friendly guy from Florida. Um, rather, I don't want to be here and I'm not sure what I'm saying. Um, so it was very kind of indifferent in terms of his performance. But um, what he had to say was really kind of a nothing burger in terms of right. policy. Right. Um, Which once is, to invade Mexico, I think, was the biggest aff- affirmative policy that he put down. Oh, yeah. I heard some co- read some comments that he made about immigrants and, and some of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and just, I think, for listeners to sure. be clear, like these debates, these early primary debates – don't really matter, nah. right? Especially when you don't have Trump in the room. I, I mean, I yeah. Right. I mean, right. it's hard to take that seriously. I'm. I mean, I I think I get why he decided not to participate. Sure, but I'm course. trying to imagine what it would be like if he was there. And my main question is: often in a debate, when there is a front runner, everyone else tries to target that person yeah. to attack him. Right. But this is a weird dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. Where they, I mean, they were asking him, would you still support him? And yeah. he's not here. And that, so either this is clearly a debate for vice president. <laughs> um, it was not a debate for the vice president. And, okay, that's helpful. And then, <laughs> but like if Trump was there, would they attack him? 
or would they try to placate him? In which case, why have a debate? Why have a debate? Exactly. Um, yeah, there were some very veiled attacks um, against Trump, but nobody invoked his name until, uh, you know, Fox News asked directly about him. Um, you know, they talked about Mike Pence and, uh, you know, asked the question about whether he did the right thing on January 6th. Um, so that was kind of a, a bit of a kind of come to Mike Pence moment. Um, it, interesting because they kind of begrudgingly, a, a lot of them and Christy Vivek um, kind of begrudgingly said that he did the right thing, that Mike Pence did the right thing by standing by the Constitution. Right. Um, so that was a, a bit of a That's interesting. let down moment in terms of democracy. Emily, do you think that these debates, especially primary debates, mm-hmm. are helpful for, I don't know, for voters to understand where candidates uh, reside on policy, or is this more of like a a first date personality check? I think these days voters are already um, already kind of sold on their candidates. Um, they have so much access to the candidates via social media, via all of the um, you know sound bites that they're getting on you know cable TV, etc. Um, so I think a lot of people. I mean, obviously the Trump folks, the DeSantis folks, seem pretty dyed in the wool, ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I'm not sure about a first date, but definitely I think they're a place where um, those undecided, especially when you have that many Republicans running, um, a, a place for them to differentiate themselves from the next person, um, and that really didn't happen except for Vivek, who really was kind of um, I've, I've been describing him as if Trump and Andrew Yang had a child. Oh. Um, that would be uh, Ramaswamy for me. Trying to run um, as an outsider, but very much so, but, and he's. Kind of a little mini, I mean, he's tall, but he's kind of like yeah. a mini Trump, right? Like, and he's trying to, yeah. um, now his introduction has gotten a lot of press, right? Yes. Where he said, I'm just a skinny kid with a funny last name. And then when you see that clip following Obama's clip from 2004, yeah. where he says the almost the exact almost, same yeah. thing, um, I think that that couldn't have been on accident. No, absolutely not. And Christie was the only one in the room who read it. Um, in fact, Christie made that connection and said, oh, well, this guy's trying to be the next Obama, which right. was met with kind of a little bit of jeering from from the crowd. Sure. So I would I, I thought about that today. I was like, yeah. man, if someone had just like leaned into the mic mm-hmm. and said, thanks, Obama, right exactly. after he said that, it would right. have been over. Yeah, for Obama. totally. Yeah, yeah that, that's what Christie tried to do, but it was too little too late. And I think that, um, to your point about whether or not Trump was in the room, I think Christie would have performed a whole lot better had Trump been in the room. That's interesting. I, he he needed that that visceral, right? He needed that poke. Yeah. Um, he, he tried to get it, get a little bit scrappy with Vivek, but it, I mean, we know Chris Christie. Chris Christie is boisterous, right? He's yeah. a, he's a yeah. talker. Um, he was very muted on Wednesday night. That's for interesting. Me. And I think for some, it's, you know, it's important for them to be there. Sure. And in some cases, the goal is, I mean, Ramaswamy had something to earn. Yes. A lot of folks have something to lose. Yeah. Right? And so, agree. Um, you're just kind of hoping to stay in it a little bit longer, mm-hmm. use it to raise some money, yep. just to assure your base. Get to Iowa, man. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, there's until votes are being cast, right. a lot of this stuff is just performance. It's a sideshow, mm-hmm. just a little bit. Which is a little, I think, exhausting. It's, it is. It is. I mean, yeah, we run 24-7, 365 elections now, campaigns right. now. Uh, you, you get elected and, uh, you know, if you're a congressional member, you maybe get six to nine months to actually legislate and mm-hmm. then you're running again if yeah. you're in the House. Um, you know, you a little bit fair, a little bit better in the Senate. Um, but, I mean, yeah, Donald Trump got elected and had Donald Trump for, you know, 2020 up in, what, a couple of months right. after his inauguration. Yeah. And so this is, I mean, and that's not 
you know, just him. This, this is becoming um, a professionalized field campaign and elections. And I, I think it's interesting um, right now because of the times in which we live, because mm-hmm. Trump is an anomaly. Yes. Um, he's a, a, a force. He's a, I mean, the, the cult of personality yes. that surrounds him um, is, is a generational thing. Yes, right? it is. Um, and the, the allegiance, you know, all this stuff is in some cases, it's so unusual and hard to wrap your mind around um, because he's not like the, I think the typical, like charismatic, very personable sure. leader that, we would expect. I mean, Obama's a good example. I mean, yeah, he's like sure. someone who like, and Bill Clinton before him, like there's, yeah. there is a magnetism about sure. them. And I, I think Trump has something, but it's different, but I, it's unprecedented yeah. to have someone have such control over a debate that wasn't even in the room. Yeah. I mean, um, that's the Much truth. less the fact that he's facing now four indictments. Yes. So and just one, right. Right. Overall, like what, 90... One, I think, is total across oh, right. the four states. Yeah, right. um, yeah it's um, it, it was interesting. Uh, I think that he, I, the brand it's, in and of itself, I mean, that's the mark of an ideologue. Um, so he's just kind of taken the more, um, you know, totalitarian, uh, kind of the more authoritarian mm-hmm. traits uh, of an ideologue and kind of used that um, to his advantage, right? Um, kind of the more fear-based sure, manipulation right. or, or uh, you know, sharing of ideas uh, versus, uh, I mean, even a George W. Bush was charismatic in his yeah, own way, choking right. on a pretzel. You know, yeah. How many people recover from that, you know? Right. Um, and so he just, he, you're absolutely correct. He, I don't think he has a need or really a want to be that charismatic. Yeah. It, it doesn't, why is it, why, it's not beneficial. No, and I think, you know, we all know that at the end of the day, um, when it gets to the primary elections um, next year, right? Yeah. So in Oklahoma, it's next March. We're on right. Super Tuesday. Uh, and voters, right, the, in most states, in Oklahoma, for sure, these are closed primaries. Yes. So only Republican right. voters will be able to vote. Yep. And so, you know, in states like Oklahoma, all the Democrats, all the independents, all the libertarians yep. and anybody else will are not allowed to vote in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we might pay attention to it now. Right. But there's nothing we can – it is totally inactionable yeah. information, right. which is part of why I didn't watch. Also, sure. I'm, if I was a professor of poli-sci, I would have watched. All right. Um, but there's nothing about that that really impacts my life sure. today in a way. And I, I'm sure that's the case for some of our listeners. Yeah. Um, but I think we also like try not to watch, but keep like one eye open sure. on it. Right. Because you kind of want to know what's going on over that's there really. because there's not, at least right now, there's not any debates on the democratic side. Can you imagine Joe Biden and Marion Williamson? Ooh, <laughs> I forgot that she's running. <laughs> Is she running as a Democrat? Uh-huh. That's interesting. She uh, last time and RFK if, Jr. and Biden. Oh, on that's stage. right. That would be that would be good popcorn. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> see, and this is the kind of thing where I think if you're if you're sitting at home and pointing figures at the other party from yours, and that they're a mess, like mm-hmm. what's the old adage? If you're pointing at someone else, there's three fingers there's pointing back at yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. Spider-Man meme. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think we have to be mindful of that. And you know. Um, you know, as listeners know, I'm a yeah. registered independent, and sure. uh, in many cases, in many states, independents are cut out entirely. Yeah, unfortunately, you get no no vote in any primary. In Oklahoma, at least, you can vote in Democratic primaries. Right. 
uh, right now. But in some states, that's not the case. Yeah. And unfortunately, you've got a majority of the nation that is now 43 percent um, identify as independent. That's and so right. It's we, the largest, yep. you know, we'll say it's not partisan, but the largest no. like block, block like of, that. Yeah. yeah. Um, is a big deal. It, it means that the parties are having to work harder once they go to the fringes in the primary. They're having to work a whole lot harder to get back to the center to pull those folks from the, the 43% in the middle. Yeah. Um, so that's what makes, you know, a Trump, even though it seems f- like a foregone conclusion that he's going to be the, the primary winner for, for the Republicans, it makes it a hard sell for those 43% in the middle who are not polling well right now right. Um, for Trump. Right. And even, and I, uh, I mean, I think you said this on, on purpose, but I want to say sure. that like, just because someone is a registered independent doesn't mean that they're necessarily a centrist or a moderate. No, not at all. In many cases, they um, might be as conservative or as progressive mm-hmm. as their partisan neighbors, Absolutely. but they are, for whatever reason, dissatisfied, frustrated, angry yeah. at the two party you know, duopoly system we have right now and have decided to say, like, I'm not, I don't fit into one of your neat buckets. Um, I'm not following you mm-hmm. in that way. And uh, and I think, you know, what we what we see then is these closed primaries lead to that, in, that shrinking minority of partisan voters yeah. who are making outsized decisions. Yes. So um, Unite America, national mm-hmm. cross-partisan organization, has been doing research on this for years, um, and they they call this the primary problem, right? The primary problem facing democracy is closed primaries. Yep. Last year, in 2022, 83% of houses or seats in Congress and the, the um, House of Representatives, which were all up for election mm-hmm. last year, 83% were decided by only 8% of voters nationally. Wow. That is a, that is a bigger margin uh, like a larger number of seats mm-hmm. and a smaller percentage of voters than it was in 2020. Yeah. Um, so this primary problem is getting worse. worse. Yeah. Um, but if you if you can imagine, I mean, that's nuts. Only eight percent of voters made the decisions for 83 percent of yeah. of congressional representation. Um, that means that the other 92 percent of voters were effectively disenfranchised. Absolutely. Yeah. Because those are all races that were decided behind closed primaries. Mm-hmm. And then they were virtually assured to win, to win. yeah, because of gerrymandering, yeah, yeah, and you know, incumbent uh, bias and Advantage, other yeah. Uh, yeah other factors like that. But um, it, it makes for uh, I don't know, like not just interesting perspective, but it's eye opening. Yeah, when you start realizing like, oh, maybe these structures need to be changed. Exactly. Don't get me on my proportional representation multi-party soapbox. It's it's Ooh. one for the yeah. I, We'll bang my fist on your table. Um, yeah, I, I think, and again, this is something that uh, I try to uh, teach my, my students. Uh, you know, this two-party system, it only can continue if you allow it to continue, right? Um, you know, there are third parties out there. Other states have third parties. We now have a right of third party, the Libertarian Party. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible, right? Germany makes it work um, with, you know, 50 parties sometimes uh, running in an, any given election, right? They have mm-hmm. to make coalition governments, which means those different parties have to come together and provide diverse representation, right? That is probably more um, more representative of the, the constituents, right? Um, and so it becomes 
problematic for me, I think, in 2023 to continue to talk about just this two-party, first-past-the-post, you know, winner-take-all system. I think we're beyond that when you have 43% of folks that do not adhere to, um, you know, the the values and ideologies of the two major parties. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I I think it's hard for a lot of Americans who have grown up in this two-party system to imagine what it would be like. So we think of third parties mm-hmm. as being the libertarians or the green party or someone who by just by the fact that they're there will be smaller mm-hmm. and so we only frame them in terms of spoiler effect exactly and what happens in other countries where you have this like multi-party coalition style government um p- parties are built around not just a or b like right now exactly. it's like every issue abortion mm-hmm. public schools taxes, whatever. It's like, do you want this or this? More right. or less? Exactly. A or B? High or low? Mm-hmm. Um, and if that shakes out so that you're closer to one or the other, then you get thrown in those camps. Exactly. And what we see in other countries is like parties will say, we care about this issue or mm-hmm. these three issues. And we're just not even going to take a stance as a party. Right. An individual candidate might. Yes. But as a party, we're not going to do that. So we're going to mm-hmm. talk about uh, labor. We're going to yeah. talk about labor laws. Um, workers' rights. We're going to talk about that a lot, mm-hmm. and we're not going to talk about abortion. Exactly. We're not going to talk about. And some of those other countries, those issues are not even on the table, right. Either. So no. that makes it easier. Yes. But here we want to partisanize everything. Everything. Yeah. Right. Do you want dogs or cats? If you're a cat, you're a liberal. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. If you're a dog, you're probably also liberal. Get out of here. We only like birds. I, you know whatever. Right. Turtles. Um, <laughs> and so I think there's those kinds of things. It's difficult. So. Um, Nationally, I do some work with the Forward Party, or they're yeah. one of our members for the national organization that I run. And this is kind of their approach, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, and they've caught fire mostly from partisans um, <laughs> for not taking a stance on things and for saying sure. that's not that's not part of our platform. Yeah. It's up to the if the, if a candidate in Oklahoma mm-hmm. has a, they're going to reflect their local audience. So exactly. these are the things that we as Forward Party agree on, and beyond that, it is up to the candidate yeah. and it necessarily should reflect their local environment. So, you know, on, you know, in the general terms, like maybe a forward candidate in Oklahoma is going to be more conservative on social issues than right. a forward candidate in Oregon, Oregon. or yeah. somewhere. Right. Sure. Um, but it's really hard for people to understand this. I mean, it's made harder by the fact that Andrew Yang is <laughs> one part of that. Right? right. I mean, forward party is much bigger than Yang. Yes. Um, but I, and also just because we expect it to be black or black white, white. Yeah, a or b exactly um and for someone else to be like um listen we've got a few colors and you can right. pick a shade of blue if you'd like uh, that's fine uh, a shade of pink and exactly. uh and so i'm i'll be curious to see they're not andrew yang is not running for president they've right. made very clear that they're not seeking any federal office i don't know that they're even seeking many state offices maybe some state legislative offices but they're they're like talking about municipal seats and sure. school boards, things that are nonpartisan to say, listen, we want to move forward. And we mean that like beyond some of this two-party bickering. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, people can agree or disagree. I just think it's an interesting approach yeah. that is different than what we've typically associated with the other parties. Yeah, I agree. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about federal stuff. So sure. Emily, um, but a lot of our content here on Let's Pod, this is about Oklahoma. Uh, what are you what are you watching here? What do you think are the most interesting 
kind of political and government issues here in the Sooner State? Um, at the state level, obviously watching Ryan Walters, um, and you know the goings on in Tulsa, um, that is a one that kind of hits home. I now have a four year old in pre K in Norman, uh, Norman Public Schools, and so it's it's you know something I actually care about now. And um, <laughs> and just in case listeners missed it this yeah. week, there was two very important yes. board meetings, right? One in Tulsa Public Schools mm-hmm. where Superintendent Gist resigned. Right. Um, I think that was her kind of trying to sacrifice herself yeah. for the good of the district to say, it seems like I'm the identified problem here. Right. I'm just going to resign in hopes that that means this, that Walters and the state board would pull back a little bit on yeah. their attack on Tulsa public schools. And that was on Tuesday. And then on Thursday, yeah. um, the state board met and, um, as a follow-up meeting to rule or make a decision yes. about their accreditation, and they decided right. not to take over Tulsa Public right. Schools yet for now. Yes, exactly. Um, but so they 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 gave them uh, accreditation with deficiencies. Deficiencies, correct. right? Yeah. yeah. So it's that's kind of the compromise that folks had hoped for, right? And like clearly, some things in Tulsa need some need work to fix, right? No public Gist school district in, it, right. in Oklahoma is perfect. Right. I guarantee you. Right. It it is ironic to me. That, um, well, it's not ironic. Here's what's happened, right? Is that decades of underinvestment in public education, and now they're like, "Well, these schools are failing." And it's like, well, "Bro, like, right? We've we've underfunded them for like 20 years. Yep. It makes sense. They might be behind, right? If you right. don't water your plants, they don't grow. Yeah. So exactly. Anyway, that's my my opinion. Yes. I I took over. Please. No, no, no. Go back. Um, so yeah, we are uh, sort of watching that. So they are um, okay for. For now, as as you mentioned, um, we did see perhaps uh, Andy and I have been going back and forth right before the podcast. Um, a website has been teased on social media uh, through some local folks, uh, Ryan Walters uh, for Governor dot com, uh, and so we're trying to kind of suss out whether or not that is an actual yeah. thing. Or yeah, not. everyone. It, so I looked up on if you go to the. I can, who is, like, yes, look up yes, where you yes. look at, like, where it's registered. It was right. just registered on the 22nd, so just a few days ago. And it's just, like, a GoDaddy website. Yeah. And it says, coming in 33 days. I would suspect right. that this is probably not Walter's camp. It right. seems like. A little sus. A little sus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm curious what will happen in 33 days. Maybe right. I'm wrong. Same. Same. He's got to be thinking bigger. I would, I would expect, you know, him to be mounting some sort of at least campaign in his mind. Yes. Um, but I would say there's it is too early. It for is very that, early. Right? Yeah. It is very early. But again, you've got, you know, an, an attorney general who is certainly making himself That's look true. real good um, with with all of the parties at this point. Right. And so it might not be a bad thing to yeah. perhaps get some good press out there. And yeah. you know, campaigning is a little bit different than actually governing. Um, Ryan Walters is a great campaigner. I think we have seen that his you know videos in his car. He's very he gets right. very fired up. He can get folks fired up in the kind of same Trumpian way. Yeah. Um, so he's a great campaigner. I'm I'm just not sold on the governance part. Yeah, I'll be very curious to see what happens. Um, I guess I'll watch that countdown clock. Yeah. And that's like middle of September then? Yes, should be. Somewhere around the 15th. Um, Interesting. And, and then, of course, you know, we're getting into the lovely bill filing time uh, coming soon. In a few months, we'll start seeing some fun 
election year legislation come out. Right. 11, yeah. 11 election year. What do you kind of expect that what kinds of legislation would we expect to see next year? Uh, I think you're going to see probably a uh, a lot of controversial, obviously, legislation, whether it goes anywhere or not. It's always good to say, I, you know, I introduced this bill in Congress um, or in the legislature. Um, so I expect to see probably some more gun bills, obviously, abortion, um, what what more they can kind of do on, on abortion and the restrictions there. Um, the I think the issue that has been most interesting is um, the the sort of pulling back on uh, referendum um, and and initiative petitions things like that. Mickey Dolenz has been really really uh, an effective legislator in, in speaking on these issues, and so um, I I wonder what next year will look like after uh, seeing Kansas and these other states. Uh, enshrine abortion rights in the Constitution, Mm -hmm. what could happen Mm -hmm. um, here in Oklahoma. Yeah, I'm interested. Um, Representative Dollins is doing an interim study on the initiative Mm -hmm. petition process this year. And um, last week, uh, I was in Indianapolis for the NCSL Legislative Summit. So jealous. I love that. Yeah, so it's the National Conference of State Legislatures. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm obviously not a legislator, but there's a lot of Nonprofit groups okay. and advocacy groups. I was there with a lot of the uh, democracy reform groups and uh, saw um, several members of the Oklahoma legislature from both parties who were there, sure. uh, including Representative Dollins. And some of the sessions talked about the initiative petition process mm-hmm. in the roughly 26 states that have it um, and what it looks like. Some have it only for municipal yeah. level, some have it at the state level. Um, they talked about the NCSL presented without taking a side. They just said like, here are the states um, and here are the bills mm-hmm. that are being filed that would restrict it in some way. And th- I think they did a good job of, of presenting like, you know, there should be some guardrails. I think that's sure. the word they use. There should be some guardrails on this. Um, and the question then is how, what's a guardrail and what's a restriction? Like sure. when does a guardrail become too right. much? Uh, and and um, it was pretty interesting some of the conversation I talked with a legislator from North Dakota, mm-hmm. um, where there's only like um, seven hundred and eighty thousand yeah. people sure. there, and so they have the initial petition process, and yeah. you know she's concerned about outside groups coming in and dumping a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know, it's we're low hanging fruit; it's easy to buy one here. Yeah. And I was like, mm, well, that's interesting because I mean, money flows on both sides yes. of a lot of these issues. Um, if if a if a group is an outside group comes in and does spend money on an initiative on an issue it's because that issue is contentious and there was almost always uh, an equal and opposite reaction right. to that in budget uh, in some cases even more and, and so i'll be i think i mean that's a criticism here in oklahoma as well sure. but i don't yes, think the holds, dark money right um and it's it just cuts both ways absolutely and it always has you know again the initiative petition process is used by everybody yes it is for the people. That's right. And so that's why you probably want to restrict it if you want to control what the people are able to do, unfortunately. Right. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, making it harder is going to re- restrict uh, the voices that are represented. And so I appreciate the work that Dollins is doing to try to make people aware um, of, of these, these bills that are out there. Yeah. Well, they, you know, I think right now, because of the Dobbs decision mm-hmm. and because of votes in Kansas and Ohio, um, the ballot initiative process is being conflated with the abortion issue. Sure. Agree. Hard agree. But it's the 
the ballot initiative is much bigger. It's so than much broader. One issue. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's the voice. Of, it's. I mean, it's one tool of direct democracy that we have, and so to restrict that again is is to constrict your own voice. Yeah. You're stepping your, on your own feet. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, well, we'll certainly tune in yes. more about that. I don't remember what date. It's sometime in September, I think, is yeah. when Dolan's study will be. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, so we'll we'll certainly pay attention and Absolutely. give an update on that. Do you want global news? Yeah, please. Let's end on that. <laughs> I'm a comparative man. Um, international relations is what I do. So um, internationally, of course, I've been watching the, uh, Ukraine. I love the news that came out uh, earlier this week that verified that Dr. Stacy was correct only months later <laughs> than that. Uh, the Prigozhin news, obviously, I'm not happy that he's dead. However, um, I, that dude never left Russia um, after the the attempted coup uh, in on Moscow. Uh, of course, uh, Putin allegedly had kind of exiled uh, Prigozhin uh, to to Belarus. I just didn't buy it. It seemed too easy. Very easy. And then you got those kind of weekend with Bernie's kind of shadowy pictures uh-huh. and stuff, you know, with him in Central Africa and him in Belarus, allegedly. Right. Um, it, the the comparativist in me who has been to Ukraine and, and kind of knows uh, a little bit about Soviet politics feels like that guy never left Russia after that coup. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I'm just The saying. moment that he stood up and said... We're coming for you. Yeah. I was like, either you're going to win or you're going to die. die. Yeah. There's no, no, there's no, we'll let you out. Mm-mm. Yeah, no. Uh, and then finally, I'll I'll end here. Uh, BRICS. I think this is a huge, huge thing that a lot of folks are uh, kind of unaware of. So BRICS is an international uh, kind of global organization, economic. Um, uh, economic organization, sorry, um, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, uh, South Africa, and now they are expanding. They've already had already expanded places like Mexico, um, Egypt, etc. Uh, have joined, and so this is kind of the what we look at internationally as kind of the um, competitor to the Western. Uh, kind of capitalist mm-hmm. uh, economic domination. And so uh, BRICS expanding, and you also obviously have some pretty powerful leaders there with um, obviously uh, Putin and uh, Xi Jinping and China. So stay tuned for that. This is not kind of a foregone conclusion. They've been pushing uh, uh, to use another currency effectively with their trade uh, than the dollar. So to really stick it to the United States, of course, this is not going to topple our economy or anything like that. But it's certainly a a development to pay attention to. Uh, My latest book that's coming out probably by the end of the year, uh, focuses on kind of the the force of deglobalization, kind of how we are um, moving more inward, right? More nationalist policies, things like that. Um, and we're also kind of untethering from international cooperation and mm-hmm. uh, alliances. Um, and so it, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition, this kind of multipolar globalized situation, right? Postmodern um, international community that we've had since after World War II um, is sort of turning in on itself, right? Like I said, uh, becoming more nationalist. And so as we kind of watch this uh, rebalancing uh, occur, it it occurs to me that um, it's likely going to be a bipolar competition, again, with mm. kind of the Western world mm-hmm. um, versus China, Russia, mm-hmm. and and their cohorts. So um, pay attention to, to these things. Yeah, because where, where those economic lines are drawn is often where political and uh, military lines are drawn as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, for a while we've talked about those as being like emerging markets, right? Like yeah. someone that you were- They've emerged, my yeah, friends. And, They're and, here. And 
at a time. I mean, this yeah. is strategic, I'm sure, that sure. the time when the U.S. economy is, uh, I mean, a bit weaker than it was sure. five years Absolutely. ago, right? And so um, I think it's something that will almost certainly be an issue in this presidential election. Yeah, and it, it should be. They better be talking about this. If yeah. they're not, then you should be uh, making your candidates speak about this issue. This is pretty important. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. I've not. You're the first person, Emily, to use the that I've heard use the term deglobalization, um, and it was like I'm sure it's been out there. But um, uh, I don't. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Sure. I read a lot of news, and so that that's the kind of thing that's immediately uh, understandable of like yeah. what you mean, um, because it's. I think it's the same thing we see on like an individual person level, mm-hmm. right? That like ten years ago when social media was really coming to its own. You know, Twitter was useful. It was a lot yeah. of relationships and conversation and things were... Do you remember people used to flash mob dance in the street? Yes. How fun. <laughs> right? How lighthearted. What happened to this? We used to have tweet ups. We, exactly. we had a festival here in Oklahoma City where oh we God. all got together. We'd have lunches once a month with all these Twitter people. And it was really about coming together yeah. and building those bridges. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, certainly over the last five years, right? Three, five years, we have um, pulled away yeah. and, and have become... More isolated yes. physically because of the right. pandemic, but also socially yeah. um, as social media has gone a different direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I use Twitter way less than I used to. Um, and we pull back into smaller and smaller groups. Right. Um, and and it's always, to see countries doing that mm-hmm. um, s- seems like common sense. Like, oh, yeah, well, that's what we're all doing. But uh, it's important to remember that like a lot of the economic growth that has been yeah. possible n- – internationally has been because we had free trade. We yes, had open exactly. trade. We we promoted that intercontinental, international partnerships, ways yeah. to grow. Um the there's a recent episode of Freakonomics mm-hmm. podcast where he interviews Rahm Emanuel, yeah. right? Former yeah. mayor of Chicago, Chicago yeah. and uh, chief of staff to Obama. Yeah. yeah. Um he interviewed uh, Rahm's brother on an earlier episode, Ari, yeah. which is both of those are fascinating interviews they're a whole fascinating family but the one with rom is now the ambassador to japan Mm -hmm. and i I, for the third or fourth year in a row the u.s and japan are each other's largest like consumer Consumer. yeah like we buy more from japan and they buy more from us uh and so there's this symbiotic relationship we have there since world war ii absolutely um and you know giving japan's geographic location Mm -hmm. and proximity to China, yeah. Russia, India, um, some of these economic lines that are being drawn, I think will have, could have, will have. Yeah, they will. Very, They're already having. Very important. Uh, already. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, so the supply chain issue that began under COVID, that uh, this is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is the the now, the future, this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, don't, I, I would not expect anything to change at this point, right? Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, Biden didn't come in and sort of undo the trade war-ish, mm-hmm. uh, at least the skirmish, let's call it, um, that Trump started with Xi Jinping. And so no- nothing was really renegotiated. And so we're still kind of at odds, uh, economically speaking. Um, and certainly the decision to no longer buy microchips, right, uh, yeah. to build our own factories, that was a devastating blow um, to, to the Chinese economy mm-hmm. um, or will be in the future. So right. um, yeah, this is 
this is all happening. The supply, the supply chain lines are being redrawn. We are having to um, do what's called reshoring, where America is having to bring factories that it shipped off back in the 90s um, back to the United States because we, I mean, we absolutely um, are unable to at this point to afford to ship some of these things um, over or because of the uh, transportation environment, you know, cargo is being stuck on ships, etc. Uh, all of that has been more or less remedied thanks to, you know, COVID uh, no longer being a pandemic. However, um, the supply chain as it exists right now is what's going to be in the future as well. Yeah, well, so. and, and this um, is a good way to kind of connect it back. Sure. Um, oh, wait, I do want to talk about Arab Spring before we go. <laughs> okay. But on this note, yeah. um, just this week, right, there was the the news that um, uh, a company in Bartlesville is um, planning to build a uh, factory in Lawton that will, um, uh, or a refinery for a cobalt nickel refinery in Lawton. Okay. Um, and it's being built as like, uh, a, you know, a bastion against China, right? And I think <laughs> yes. it'll be the, they've said it's the first one of its kind that will okay. be in the United States. Um, and at least on, uh, you know, on the Oklahoman story about it, the the top header image is of like four fighter jets, right? Uh, and so even though this might be uh, an a economic issue sure. that has lots of consequences, it is, it's proximity to, the military installations in Lawton and yes. Wichita Falls. Right. Um, I think this is uh, a, a big deal and it's, it's uh, talked about, right. It's like a pushback on those supply chain right. um, squeezes that mm -hmm. are happening coming out of China. And so we'll see if it happens. I think it's a startup. Yeah. Um, so it's got a long way to go, um, but they've got some VC money and mm -hmm. I don't know, we'll find out what happens, but I think it's those kinds of things. Yeah. If it's happening in Oklahoma, yes, you know, yeah. things are things are escalating. Yes, indeed. Um, well, so we just talked about social media, and maybe we'll wrap up on this note. Sure. Because I was talking the other day with someone who uh, is uh, younger. They're in their 20s, and I referenced the Arab Spring. Yeah. And they had no idea what Ooh. I was talking about. Okay. I'm going to guess. That hurts me a little. Well, I was just surprising, <laughs> right? Yeah. I was like, I was talking about how Twitter used to be different. And yeah. I was like, you know, back in the Arab Spring in the late 2000s. Yeah. And they were like, what? I was like, hmm. You don't, it was like several Arab countries, Egypt, Libya, like all these countries, like essentially had a coup that was orchestrated on social media. Mm -hmm. Millions of people were in the streets. It was an enormous deal. Yeah. And I don't know if they just uh, were in school at a time that that was being written into the textbooks and they didn't get it, but it seemed like a consequential moment in history. It was. That we should be mindful of and maybe particularly yeah. given these economic lines that are being redrawn. I think that's interesting because I actually watched uh, the Arab Spring, uh, specifically the Egyptian Arab Spring in Tahrir Square uh, from the Oklahoma State Capitol. Um, Al Jazeera was able to set up cameras uh, in Tahrir Square really, really high. Uh, and so they broadcast yeah. from the square. Uh, and so I watched it while, while session was going on. Yeah. Um, and so I don't. I don't know. I don't really find any excuse if I was able to watch it from Oklahoma. <laughs> um, you should probably know what the Arab Spring is. Yeah. Um, technically, it began in Tunisia in 2010, and Tunisia has since been um, kind of the greatest story um, to come out of the Arab Spring movement. They were able to um, really consolidate democracy around Ben Ali, um, or after Ben Ali's, I'm sorry, ousting. Um, and so that has been a, a real success story. Egypt, unfortunately, has not been. Um, 
But yeah, it's um, it, it's been incredible to kind of watch uh, the the waves of movement and revolution occur. So um, Hosni Mubarak, of course, was ousted in February of 2011 uh, after he cut connectivity off to uh, text messaging, uh, the internet, etc. in Tahrir Square uh, on January 27th, 2011. 2011. My goodness, I sound like an Oklahoman. Um, so he cuts off internet connectivity, thinking that the hundreds of thousands of Egyptians that had already been in the square um, would just go home. At that point on January 27th, they weren't calling for his ousting. Right. Um, in fact, they just wanted reform, uh, democratic reform specifically involving the military police and the way that they were being repressed and oppressed. Um, but whenever he turned off connectivity uh, on January 27th, it became a full on, uh, we want you gone, dude. Um, and so he, he finally was ousted from office on February February 11th. Um, but I mean, this was all orchestrated. Will Gonim was the um, was a blogger and head of marketing for Google in the Middle East uh, in Northern Africa region. And so he was responsible for building the We Are All Qaid Saeed webpage. And I know uh, a lot of Americans think that we, we created the We Are All This. Um, it actually originated in <laughs> Egypt. Um, so Qaid Saeed was a young uh, street vendor. He was selling whatever uh, on the streets. And so it's very customary for the military police to come around uh, and collect their bribes, right? Um, and so on this day, Saeed did not give him uh, or whoever the military policeman was the bribe. And so they beat him to death uh, on the streets of Alexandria. And of course, this is 2010, um, where even in places like Egypt, cell phones uh, and smartphones are prevalent. Uh, everybody has at least two. In fact, they're more prevalent um, and they come with with cameras. And so they uh, record the video. It goes viral uh, around the world. And so this Facebook page is created. And it started as just kind of a wellspring uh, for folks to anonymously talk about the repression and oppression and the violence, etc. Uh, but became a, a starting point uh, for a movement. So they, uh, Gonim decided that they were going to have a protest, a demonstration uh, on January 25th of 2011. And that's an ironic day uh, to have a protest against the, the military police in Egypt because it's actually the day uh, that they celebrate. It's like a, a holiday for the military police. So Gonim, with two middle fingers in the air, says, okay, cool, we're going to do this on January 25th. So we're all going to march to the square, Tyre Square, in the middle of Cairo. So think Times Square. I mean, it's huge. Right, it's a right. huge square. Um, so they all march um, and, and they organize it via Facebook. And so they use Facebook in such a smart way. Um, at certain points, they're posting you know maps and routes of how they're going to get to the square. Uh, knowing that the military police are surveilling, and so they go a completely different route. Um, just really, really smart use, and that's why uh, Mubarak. Two days later, after you know hundreds of thousands of folks didn't leave, they camped out. Right, so this was a protest camp, which is a whole other, a whole other podcast that we can talk about because I love protest camps. Um, so they built this protest camp. Uh, you know, food, hospitals, right? They have an infirmary. They have everything that they need in the middle of the square. So it's really obvious that they're not leaving, and so that's why he cuts off connectivity, which leads to um, them now calling for his ousting. So it was a, an incredibly impressive display of collective mobilization. Um, you know, the, we're talking about a predominantly Arab country. Um, there are some moving photographs where um, you have men, Arab men, Muslim men, um, who are surrounding groups of women who are not technically supposed to be out mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. um, protesting, but they're, you know, they're being protected. I mean, it's it's just, it was an incredible uh, movement to watch. Um, so Mubarak is ousted. Um, it has turned into, unfortunately, 2013, um, they oust their first democratically elected president, um, uh, who was part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Um, 
So they asked him um, in 2013 and uh, just, you know, like we kind of talked about democracy, it takes a long time, right? Um, you know, you can oust a leader and, um, you know, try to draft a new constitution, but it doesn't just happen overnight, unfortunately. Um, and so in 2013, they got tired of waiting uh, and, and ousted their democratically elected president. And unfortunately, um, that's when al-Sisi uh, took over. And so uh, President al-Sisi now has been in, in power for almost a decade. Um, and he was part of Mubarak's military regime. And so mm. it's basically been consolidated back into a military coup. Mm -hmm. um, he's revoked the right to protest, expression, uh, advocacy, all kinds of things um, in Egypt. I know a lot about Egypt. I used to freelance for <laughs> a publication yes. um, out there. So, um, But it is, it's it's a really interesting situation, unfortunately, uh, where you have seen, right, so social movements have, you know, these life cycles. Um, and one way that they can end is obviously success. One can be um, just absolute failure, co-option by the government. Um, but this is one where, you know, this, the military, they trusted the military um, because the military actually protected them from Mubarak in the original Arab Spring in 2011. Uh, Mubarak had ordered the military to dispel uh, or disperse uh, of all of the protesters in Tahrir Square, and they refused. And so um, the, the military turned on, on Mubarak, and so that's how the movement succeeded in 2011. Um, but it was that same military that now governs them. Wow. So... Interesting. Jazz hands. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, the outcome uh, yeah. in there is maybe not what we had yeah. hoped, but I remember watching it as well, and I, and I just remember thinking, it is amazing what people can do when Absolutely. we get organized. Yeah, right. When you harness the power that you have in front of you. Right. Right. So I tease my kids and American federal government. <laughs> these poor kids. Um, Right. So I, I tell them the story of, of the Arab Spring and ask, you know, what what's our excuse? Right. You're using, you know, the same technologies, the same social media platforms, uh, you know, to you know meet your match or, you know, whatever. Um, and other people around the world are using these things to make social and democratic change for themselves. So, yeah. you know, you live in a free, free country with free speech and all of these guarantees. So what's. What's your excuse? Well, and, you know, in 2018, <laughs> right, we saw this at the teacher walkout yes, here. Where yes. It was so exciting. It was a big deal. You know, in, in 2016, you know, we uh, had a few events at the Capitol that mm -hmm. I didn't intend to have rallies, but they became rallies sure. by the third one. It was about public education yeah. then, right? There was yeah. budget cuts to public education. Um, and so to have several hundred people in the state Capitol Rotunda mm -hmm. chanting, let's Incredible. fix this, was bananas yeah. to me. And then two years later, to have 30,000 mm -hmm. teachers up there, I mean, everywhere, on every ounce of lawn, with the stage, like it was in every stairwell, um, was a big sign. And, yeah. you know, I know it was annoying to some legislators. And that's the point. Right. That's democracy. Right. 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 It's not, um, it's not always clean. Or convenient. Or convenient. It's not supposed right. to be. Right. It doesn't have to be bloody. That's no, the, it's that's certainly the idea. not. Should not be bloody. <laughs> no. Absolutely um, not. Should not uh, be ugly. Should, no. All those things. But, like, we as people have an enormous amount of agency. Yes. That is untapped. Yes. That we forget about. Yep. That we now we tweet like exactly. Oh, Ryan Walters like right is an autocrat, and it's like okay, yeah. I mean, you tweeted that, or you posted about it, or you highlighted the story. Right. Are you going to the meeting? Right. Yeah. What else did you do? Exactly. Like in those mm -hmm. in in Egypt, right? People saw the video, and then they got off their ass yeah. and did something. Yep. Um, they went there. They stood. Yep. Um, in Oklahoma, like yeah. we can, you can organize events. More importantly, you can go knock doors. Yeah, absolutely. You can talk to your friends, to your neighbors. Um, you can talk to people that are in your 
social network. Um, you can talk to your spouse who you are pretty sure is registered, but maybe you don't know if they vote or not because you don't you don't talk about it. Sure. Your coworkers, you don't have to you don't have to talk to them about the issues even, no. but you should encourage everybody to use their voice. Absolutely. You will have people. I can, I'm thinking of a guy I know right now who I used to go to for haircuts, and he said he's never voted. And I think about him all the time, and my goal is to get him to vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we probably disagree politically sure. on lots of stuff, but I I want him to know that his vote matters because yeah. it's not just about Joe Biden. It's no. not just about Donald Trump. It's not just about Ryan Walters. It's really not about any of those people. It's about you. Yes. Right? Right. Sorry, did I get to your... No, that's it. That's great. <laughs> this is exactly right. It is about you. It is about you using your voice, your vote, yep. the way that you know our system is set up to make a point. Yeah. Sometimes you lose, but exactly. it is still worth doing, mm-hmm. right? It takes enormous courage to run for office, yep. even if you lose. Um, if you, you know, a, a half the state legislature in Oklahoma was elected without an Unopposed, opponent. yeah. They just, they filed for office yep. and they won because they did it. Yep. And we can be mad that it's a, a, a super majority for one party, but the fact is half of them got there because no one else exactly. from any party said, hey, what about me? Yep. And we don't vote people out. We only vote for somebody else. Yeah. So as you see on your social media feed or on the news or in your mailbox, um, you know, this is the season where people are filing mm-hmm. for office. Um, for next November, it's a, more than a year out. Yep. Um, if you're thinking about it, uh, you know, yeah. I, do it. This is your yes. sign. Do it. Even if you are running in a seat that you are very certain you're going to lose. But if that person has been unopposed for two or three terms, voters deserve the chance to vote for them, yeah. right? I had Agreed. a friend that used to be in legislature and he went unopposed and I said, I'd like to vote for you sometime. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, well, you know, I'm unopposed. And I was like, that's not democracy, not man. At all. I support you. Right. And like, I hope you win, but I have half a mind to run against you just so that I could come vote for you. Right. Like you deserve to like know who actually supports you. Mm-hmm. In a lot of those races, it would be much closer than people think. Oh, yeah, I agree. It doesn't, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be famous. You have to care. Yep. You have to show up and you have to, whether you run for office or not, we need you to talk to people in your sphere of influence yeah. and make this normal. Make them know that voting is the biggest way that we can use our voice and you can make a change in your community today. Yes, sir. So if you want help, Reach out. Um, if you want to, if you, I will come. I'll, we'll come. I'll do a presentation. I'll be the one to open the conversation for you. You got to introduce me to your friends. We can do it. Have a barbecue, whatever it is. Um, we can be there. Dr. Stacy, I'm sure, oh, would come. She'd absolutely. love to come talk to a crowd. That's what she does for a living. Amen. We'd love to come. If you've got a bunch of like minded friends and you say, we think we want to do something, we're not sure how to do it, um, make it happen. Send me an email. Uh, podcast at letsfixthis.org is a great way to get a hold of me. It comes right to my inbox. I will respond um, and we can make it happen. We would love, love, love to have little pockets of democracy growing all across the country, right? Or all across the state. Yes. Like I think think about a, you know, a can of soda or sparkling water, all those little bubbles, right? Those bubbles of air that are mixed in with the water, are the most important part. That's what makes that water delicious or that soda. So uh, that could be you. You can be the carbonation our state needs. 
I love that. I'm making this up. I as love I go. that. That was great. All right, listeners, I will end on that note because, as you know, decisions are made by those who show up. It is time. It is time for you to show up. Have a great week. Thank you.